hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 89, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing great, Brennan. How are you doing? I am good. I am looking forward to getting into this episode, uh, partially because it it does scare me so, this topic. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I read the title of the show and I'm like, eh, who cares? But, <laughs> but then I actually started reading the stories and I'm like, those are scary as hell. Yes, yes. The topic for today is doppelgangers. Mm-hmm. You see doubles of people, you, of either yourself or people you know who are not them. And I don't just mean, oh, that looks like, you know, my Aunt Sally. Because <laughs> you know, I always hear about that. People will say, oh, you look exactly like this person. Right. And then you see the person they're, they're pointing to and you think, okay, so you've suffered head trauma. Recently. Or, or you, look, you see the person they're referring to and you're like, am I really that ugly? Yeah, <laughs> that has happened too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There was, there was one woman I remember, a bunch of people in my family were saying looked exactly like one of my aunts on a flight. And they took all these pictures with her and nope, I don't know if they were under some kind of glamour or if they've been <laughs> drinking, but well, nope. knowing your family, they were probably drinking. That's the other side of the family. <laughs> the, le- the less, the less rowdy side of the family. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so no doppelganger stories. And I am, I'm really, really looking forward to it. And, um, you now speaking of spooky things, you're, you're back at work on the ghost walks. I am. How has that been? A little Two- sad. A little really? sad. Yeah, I've done only one week. Next week or tomorrow will be my my second uh, second jaunt at it. I'm on every Thursday in July. Normally on a July evening, we would have maybe 60, 70 people. Right. Um, I had six. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then for the 930, I had two. A very nice couple. Um, but... It's hard. It's hard because even the traffic downtown, it's more like an early April evening uh, instead of, you know, peak of the tourist season. I get it. I don't think it's a bad thing particularly. No, I think I think it's a necessary evil right now. I absolutely agree with you. And I'm I'm glad to see that it's happening and, and we're not pulling a Florida. But I am a little bit. It's still a little bit sad, right? Knowing what, oh, it, sure, yeah. what it was and now what it is. Um, so I kind of had to digest that like i got there early like i normally do the tour starts at 7 30 i get there at 7 because that's when we sell tickets forgetting right. even though i'd been told forgetting that no we're only doing tickets online and all you do is check people in so right, no one showed up until 7 20 right oh, so i'm learning this sort of new way of doing it and on the plus side with only six people and and two people it's a lot more intimate tour. <laughs> well, that, that's something i guess like go ahead and ask me questions because you know <laughs> fair enough well, I haven't been doing anything nearly so interesting, although I've been watching the Netflix series Marianne. Okay, the French one. Yeah, it's a, it's a French horror series. And it, it turned out to be, I, I literally just started it uh, day before yesterday, and it turned out to be really, uh, really great timing because there are two really terrifying doppelganger moments in the first two episodes. Oh, there you go. And of course, you know, when I watch these horror movies, I sit here in, I, in, my, in my home, I'm on, in my living room. Uh, on the couch in the the red LED lights. I know. I don't know how you do that to yourself in creepy James Bay. I am stupid is, is the short answer. Yeah. 
yeah. And uh, so I'm watching this horror movie, and and I do this a lot, you know. I, I and it's not really a problem. Every now and again, something kind of punctures the the scar tissue around my brain, but uh, <laughs> usually I, this stuff something cuts me. through to your cold, cold heart. Yeah, exactly. But not often. <laughs> no. But there was a moment in episode two of Marianne where I actually I the, I have above me a light switch which goes to the a big bulb kind of behind me, which is a, a 5K daylight bulb. Okay. And it scared me so bad that I had to sort of, it's like pulling the ripcord. I just, boom, hammered the switch. Because <laughs> I needed light everywhere. That is awesome. Yeah. It, it, the, I won't give that one away, but the in the first episode, there is a moment where a character is having, they wake up from a nightmare. And their partner is laying next to them, uh, you know, sort of facing away. And they, the partner says, oh, you know, what happened? And, and the person who had the nightmare says, well, I, I had a nightmare. Come here and cuddle me kind of thing. And right. the person who is laying facing the other direction says, are you sure you want me to do that? <gasps> and she says, yeah. And they turn over and it's it it looks like them, but it's not them. Oh, no. Yes. And yeah. And there's a, an even better moment in episode two. So it, it really put the fear of doppelgangers in me. And then, of course, I had to start writing this episode. Of, of course. And, uh, you know, it, often late at night because I've just resigned myself to knowing that, okay, fine. Nighttime is when I'm going to get my shit done. You, you are a marsupial of that nature. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So it, that really primed me for uh for tonight's episode and i'm looking forward to sharing these stories with everyone well i read through the stories and i was like yeah that's when i kind of went oh those kind of doppelgangers (laughs) so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with those doppelganger stories Welcome back. As we said before the break, this episode is all about doppelganger stories. And it's sort of what you expect, but also much weirder. Yes, I would agree so, with that. I, I'm looking forward to getting to that. But before we do, I thought I'd share my my sort of my soul. The only story I have really that even approaches anything doppelganger-esque. And that is, of course, from the California Redwoods. Oh, right. On your road trip. Yeah, summer 2008. So longtime listeners will know this story. But basically, back in the summer of 2008, I was taking a road trip with a friend of mine. And that friend had recently um, almost died in a car accident. Him and his family were in a car wreck. They collided with an oncoming vehicle. The people in the oncoming vehicle were killed. And my friend and his family were, were very, very badly hurt. And so he spent a month in hospital. And we had planned to fly to New York. That was what we were going to do that summer. We were going to take our first ever trip to New York. Of course, you know that that just wasn't going to happen. But the doctor gave him the okay to take a road trip. Oh wow! He said, "You know, you're fine going. You can go to America on a road trip if you that want." It seems kind of messed up, though. Like, hey, I know you almost died in a car accident, but hey, how about a road trip? <laughs> that's you know, I that's pretty fucked. That's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> I just imagine it's, it's it's kind of like the the janitor from Scrubs that wasn't really a doctor. <laughs> yeah, you can go on your car ride, sure. <laughs> But uh, so anyways, we, we wound our way down Highway 101 and one morning found ourselves in the uh, sort of, I guess it's Redwood State Park. I think it's what it's called. Okay. Right. Yeah. So sort of just in Northern California, just across the border. 
we had never seen anything like the redwoods like they were spectacular yeah and and if you haven't seen them you know you folks you, you really really should i mean maybe now is not the best time but <laughs> they're gorgeous so we pulled the car over to the side of the road and i didn't have a driver's license back then so my friend was doing all the driving we pulled over to the side of the road and we're, we're checking out the redwoods now on that stretch of of road the the redwoods of course high high above you and the forest floor kind of slopes down so like the road is not at ground level of the trees the trees start much lower than the road right so you know we parked my friend gets out his camera he, he was uh, he was a photographer and we're kind of walking back and forth uh, up the highway under this massive canopy of trees in the in the morning stillness i realized after a certain point i lost track of him mm-hmm. i didn't know where he was mm-hmm. and like i said to get down to the forest floor there was a bit of an embankment if you've had a uh, you know, a massive car accident with a lot of internal damage and the doctor says, eh, don't climb anything, you think the last thing this person's going to do is eh, fucking climb something. Yeah. Well, I was wrong because <laughs> I, I, I couldn't find this person and I, I called out their name, nothing. Oh, wow. I called out their name again, nothing. And I, I was getting worried because he had the car keys. <laughs> And uh, so I, I call out this name again and I hear him call me from the trees. And I said, what the fuck are you doing down there? Yeah, no kidding. I said, get back up here. You shouldn't, I don't know why you would climb down there in the first place, but you shouldn't be down there. So he, you know, kind of very, very gingerly stepped back up the embankment and um, back to the car. And I, I, I said, what, what were you doing? And he said, well, I, I, I thought I heard your voice calling me from the trees. Uh-oh. The thing is, at the time, I didn't think about any of this shit. So I just assumed that, well, I did call his name. So he must have, it, it was something to do with like maybe bouncing around the trees or right. you know, the, the acoustics of the forest. Sure. You know, go with that. Yeah. Go with that. But then I realized a couple of years ago when I got into Missing 411 that I didn't start calling his name until after he had gone missing. Oh. He went down into the forest because he heard me calling him from there, but I didn't start calling him until after he'd gone into the forest. See, that's not good. So that's that's the only experience I have with something like that. And I, I got to tell you, I'm not in any real hurry to to have any more. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> and and I think after after sharing these stories, I, I think our listeners will agree. Mm-hmm. Our first story is called The Unlocked Door. Our house is located in the countryside with only a few neighbors around us. Otherwise, we're surrounded by a fairly deep wood and have a lot of room to move around. Lately, I've learned we're not the only ones moving around in all that space. Last week, my mother and I went together on a supply run into town. The trip went long, and as we pulled up the long driveway to our house, the sun had already begun to set. Next to our driveway across from the house are a couple small outbuildings we used to store tools and other equipment. When I was maybe a couple hundred feet away from them, I saw who I thought was my stepfather, Mike, leave one and cross the driveway towards the house. At the time, I was hauling a bunch of groceries and didn't want to have to carry them from our parking area to the front door. So when we got to the house, I asked my mom to go in and ask our stepfather to help carry the bags. She went up to the front door, opened it and froze. A moment later, she returned to the car with a strange look on her face. Sharon, she said, we saw Mike working on the way home. My stomach fell. She was right. We had. It had slipped my mind. 
Then who did we see crossing the drive? And why was the door unlocked? Now Mum looked worried. All she could do was shake her head. I shifted into park and turned off the car. Maybe someone gave him a lift home and they beat us here? It's not impossible. She didn't look convinced, but it was enough to get her to take my arm. Together, we walked up the path to our front door, which she had left hanging slightly open. Mum is paranoid about break-ins, about a lot of things, really. So the fact that the door was unlocked was almost as worrying as having seen someone. Mum gently pushed the door open and called for Mike, a call that was met with a banging noise from upstairs. She pushed me back out of the house, closed it, and asked me to lock the deadbolt with my keys, which I did. She was now certain that there was an intruder in our house. Next, we called Mike, who told us to get a baseball bat from one of the sheds and to wait in the car, with the doors locked. He arrived not long after, his truck fishtailing as he rounded the curve of the driveway. Together, the three of us checked out the entire house and found nothing out of the ordinary. I know I saw someone cross the driveway and head toward the house, but there was just no way that someone could have disappeared so quickly. There's only one road in and out of our place, and like I said, we have neighbors, but they're not exactly close. Even so, there's no reason for our neighbors to snoop around our stuff and then vanish. After we ensured the house was otherwise secure and started to calm down, I realized that the thumping sound we heard from upstairs was very likely my cat Perkins jumping off the bed. At the time, we were both amped up enough we wouldn't have clocked it properly. Something else that occurred to me once we all settled was that this wasn't the first time something like this had happened in our house. Only a week or so after we moved in, Mom and I were up in my room folding laundry when we heard my voice call, Oh, what? from downstairs. Well, interestingly, we each heard the other person calling. My mom heard me and vice versa. To make it even more odd, we don't really sound like each other. She has also seen a cat, colored completely different from ours, walk up to the cat flap and out of sight, but with no accompanying sound. She has also seen a small white dog appear and disappear. Finally, one day, she was standing outside and saw, through the upstairs window, a pair of hands pull open her dresser drawer when the other two people who were in the house were accounted for. As for the mysterious figure I saw crossing the driveway, it turned out I wasn't the only one. Mike told his co-worker Steve, who sometimes gives him rides to work, about what I'd seen, and Steve confessed to having seen the same thing a few times. He remembered he'd been standing by the house when he saw who he thought was my stepdad walk out of the shed through the gate next to it and behind the building. It didn't strike him as unusual until Mike walked out of the house behind him. I'm not sure what's happening in our house, truth be told. I've seen ghosts before and made peace with that, but never something so solid. Is it another kind of entity or a flesh and blood person somehow secretly living right next to us? I got to be honest. I think the idea of some stranger living unbeknownst to you near you is way scarier than ghosts. (laughs) Like that story about the man who lived in the woman's attic for four years or something. Yeah, exactly. Or or the homeless guy who lived outside my window for quite a while. Oh, box man. I like him. (laughs) He was when I met him in the garbage dump in the dumpster, like after he moved, he was a lovely guy. Cardboard man. That's it. Cardboard Cardboard man. Yeah. But I tell you, discovering that this guy had been literally sleeping feet away from where my wife and I lay completely undefended at night. That is a bit upsetting. Yeah, I, yeah. I get that. I'm kind of fascinated by this notion that it called to them and they both heard it in different voices. That's crazy. It really is. Yeah. It just raises so many questions about 
the nature of it, right? And and what was it trying to achieve when both of them were in the same room? Yeah. Like, that's very interesting to me. What do you think? Do you think that's something conscious or do you, do you have any thoughts? I think it's something kind of trying to mess with them a little bit. Like, it sounds like some something is living in that house with them, 100%, some kind of entity. But what its end goal is, I don't know. Maybe it just wanted to, because this is right when they moved in. So maybe it was just trying to establish, like, hello, I'm here. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's my theory. I'm sticking to it. I don't like it. Send an edible arrangement, man. (laughs) (laughs) Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill two heads i'm not very old but still a few times in my life i have seen something that copies people it's not a ghost because the person it looks like is alive and it's not like they're astrally projecting themselves because the people i see are usually awake when it happens let me explain the first time it happened i was six we were living in the same house we're living in now which has a garage off the living room, and in that garage is a separate little room my brother and I used as a playroom. One afternoon, I went out to the playroom alone to get one of my toys, and when I reached the midpoint of the room, a transparent figure appeared in front of me. Its body wasn't visible to me, but its head was, or should I say heads, because it had two. One was mine, and one was my brother's. There was no way for me to understand or make sense of what I was seeing. There in front of me were two grinning, translucent faces, which didn't belong there. The heads would turn independently, passing through each other when they did. Afraid, I slowly backed away from the thing, which followed me, floating inches off the ground. When it got to within arm's reach, I bumped into a window-mounted air conditioning unit behind me, and the horrible figure vanished. I guess that was the last time the kids used the playroom. (laughs) That is really crazy. Like, I've never heard of anything like that. No, no, me either. And I, I, yeah, I don't know. There was definitely some of these things that I read and I thought, hmm, I don't know if I believe this. Mm, Right. But yeah, with this one, I thought, well, again, we'll we'll leave it in and see see what happens. But uh, I I will say too, I was a little bit skeeved out even more than the ghost or whatever the hell it was Mm -hmm. by the idea that these people had a a smaller room inside their garage. How big is your house that your garage has an antechamber? (laughs) This is the place we prepare for the drive. You have too much (laughs) space in your house. If you have a separate room in there that your kids can play in. To put on your driving gloves and goggles. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Give me a break. (laughs) I live in a two-bedroom apartment. Could we call it living? Well, yeah, fair, fair. (laughs) (laughs) Voices in the Dark Years ago, when I was in university, I stayed with my folks and younger brother to save money on housing. We had a pretty big place, so it worked out well. Although the house was in the middle of a field, so during the summer, it got a lot of sun, which made the master bedroom and my brother's bedroom almost uninhabitable. The sun would beat down on the rooms all day, so that even at night they retained the heat. We solved this problem by having my mother and brother sleep in my room on small single beds. All the bedrooms were quite large. Then one night, I woke up around three in the morning for no particular reason. Ah, three in the morning. Unable to go back to sleep, I came to realize I was alone. 
despite the fact that they'd both gone to sleep in my room earlier in the evening. Even as a young adult, there's something unnerving about waking up alone in a dark room when you're not expecting it. Since sleep wouldn't come, I got out of bed and decided I should find out where they'd gone. It seemed like a weird thing to say because odds are good they just went somewhere else to sleep, but I felt like I needed to do something. As I stepped out of my room, I heard from the master bedroom my mother and brother speaking in hushed tones. I couldn't hear exactly what they were saying, but I was relieved to at least hear their voices. My relief vanished when I looked into the master bedroom and found it absolutely pitch black. Unexplained dread filled me, and I darted into my brother's room where both of them were fast asleep. If they were here, where'd the voices come from? I was in no hurry to find out. I closed my brother's door, lay down in front of it, and waited until the panic faded enough for me to sleep. So I think that one really nails one of my greatest fears. And I've talked about this on the show before, this idea that you hear someone who sounds familiar coming from a dark room. Right, yeah. And I believe Luke just did a caption for one of our uh, Wanda Fraser dark art series that we've been running on Instagram mm-hmm. where uh, the Vancouver Island artist Wanda Fraser has been drawing creatures from folklore, some of which are, are quite terrifying. Right. And Luke did a caption about one creature. I believe it was called Nishidak. I believe it's from the mythology of India. But the creature will call to you in the voice of someone who you know, and it will call right. you twice. Oh. But it cannot, according to legend, it cannot manipulate the voice three times. So if you can get it to call you twice and it doesn't call you the third time, then you know it's this thing trying to lure you. Interesting. I wonder what the three, I wonder if it's like um, a Holy Trinity kind of thing. Probably not because coming from from uh, sort of the Indian subcontinent, I don't know how much of a Christian influence there would have been there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. But, but there um, is a, a sacredness to the number three for some reason. I don't know what it is. I forget. But I saw it in a movie once. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. They don't lie, those things. I, I did notice too that piece in there about couldn't hear exactly what they were saying. Yes. And that comes up a lot. People will hear someone talking in their house or two people talking in their house when they know there's no one home and they Mm -hmm. can tell it's a man or a woman. They can even often tell the mood in which the voice is in. Oh yeah. But they can't hear what they're saying. Well, we had that listener story. I think, uh, someone was staying, I want to say at their uh, in-laws house and they woke up in the night to hear someone, uh, I believe it was a man and a woman outside their door. Right. Yes. I remember that one. And of course there was, there was no one there. No. This actually popped loose a, a memory of mine that I'd completely forgotten about. But years ago, uh, when I was young and really stupid, <laughs> I got back together with an ex-girlfriend. And uh, just because I was afraid of being alone. Um, you know, this, again, this is almost 20 years ago now. Right. But um, yeah, I was just, I was afraid of being alone. And so I got back into a, a very, very toxic relationship. Uh, at the time, she was living in another city and I, and living with family her family. So when I went to go visit her in my grand stupid, uh, stupid quest, <laughs> we stayed with her family. And I remember waking up and again, I'd forgotten all about this. I woke up in the middle of the night in this room in, in, in her family's house, obviously, you know, in, in next to her and I could hear voices. Oh boy. I could hear people talking in the next room. I realized part of what happened was actually just a panic attack. Right. Because my right. subconscious knew this was a really dumb idea. Mm-hmm. But I think it was also feeding off of something else. Because again, I could hear people talking. And 
in my kind of frenzied state, again, I, I think this is the panic part of it. I became convinced that the world was ending. Oh, wow. And that the people in the next room were talking about it and they knew and everyone knew. Interesting. And of course, this is all pre-cell phone, uh, mostly pre-cell phone, you know, kind of pre-easy internet access. So I couldn't look anything up. I just, you know, and, and again, eventually it faded and I, I finally just went back to sleep, you know, because the sky didn't explode into uh, mushroom clouds. But I, I distinctly remember hearing these muffled voices the next room over. And, and I, I kind of wondered now if maybe there was some kind of, if what woke me up was presence. Hmm. And, you know, it sort of like slammed right into my, my subconscious. Yeah. Saying, you idiot, put it back in your pants and leave. Yeah. <laughs> the other side of the door. After my mom died, it didn't take long, maybe a few months, for my dad to move his girlfriend Mina into the house we had all shared. It was a bad situation, made even worse by the fact that my father and Mina were addicts who enabled each other's addiction to a horrific degree. It was not an easy environment to grow up in, but there's no reason to dwell on that. The other thing Mina's addiction enabled was my father ignoring her when she started talking about voices. She said she could hear him talking to some other woman when she was out of the room, and this became a huge sticking point in their arguments, which were regular. Loud. And regular. As much as I hate to say this, I eventually ended up on Mina's side. It happened one day when they left the house to run errands, which I assume meant they were going to score. When they were home, I'd lock myself in my room to avoid them, and wait until at least five minutes after they left to come out. On this particular day they left, I waited, and around ten minutes after they were gone, I headed to the bathroom. I'd only just sat down to do my thing when I heard the voices. At first, I thought maybe they'd left a TV on before they headed out, but after a moment or two, I realized the voices were coming from just outside the bathroom door. It sounded like Dad and Mina talking, which seemed almost impossible, as I would have heard them come back in. The voices sounded tense, which was very much on brand for them. So there I was, sitting on the toilet, hearing people who couldn't be having a conversation audible to me, having that conversation, and I remembered what Mina would say about voices. Suddenly, as improbable as it all was, it made sense and it scared the hell out of me. I worked up my courage and spoke out loud. Excuse me, whoever is there. I know you do this to Mina when she's home, but I'm not her, and you're really frightening me. Please leave me alone. Wouldn't you know, the voices stopped. Later that night, when I got Dad on his own, I told him what had happened, and it clearly upset him. They still fought, of course, but he no longer told Mina she was crazy. What do you think of that one? I like that story. The line that stuck out to me that makes me think it's legit is I could hear voices, but I couldn't make up what they were saying. And uh, of course, yep. yeah, and that line comes up a lot. Oftentimes you can tell if it's a man or a woman, you can tell the emotion behind it, but you can't make out exactly what they're saying. And so, you know, that definitely jumps out at me. It's kind of interesting too, that this person, the narrator, we don't know who they are, but they were able to influence it by saying, you know, hey, you know, back off, leave me alone. I've heard a lot of that, though, that if, you know, when people talk to me about I'm really scared, I'm hearing things in my house or I'm hearing footsteps, um, I'll often say to them, you know, it might not be the worst idea just to acknowledge what is there, that there is something there that you are aware of them and that you would really like them to leave you alone <laughs> or at least you know, not make the noises when you're home. I said it can fix everything, to be honest with you. I said it's like a roommate. If they don't know something and you don't tell them, then you get what you get. But if you tell them, then a lot of times they'll change their behavior. And and I feel like the whole the you should know why I'm mad attitude just doesn't work with the dead. 
It doesn't work with the living either, to be honest. <laughs> that's just uh, now, dysfunctional now and me. crazy. <laughs> well, you should know, Ian. That's why. <laughs> and uh, something else just jumped out at me, too. Uh, we were talking about this the first time we tried recording this. <laughs> it was something I learned in the you know, 10-ish years I've been listening to the Savage Lovecast, you know, the relationship and, and sex advice show. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, in this story, you know, dad got together with a girlfriend shortly after mom died. Right. And something they mentioned on that show, which had never occurred to me, is that when you have two partners and one of them is is terminally ill, and then the living partner gets together with someone, you know, uh, an amount of time post-mortem mm-hmm. that seems too fast. Yeah. It's often because the party who is watching their loved one die, they're grieving the relationship and kind of going through the separation as the person is dying. Oh, 100%. 100%. And I just never... Never thought about it like that. You always think, I always think like, okay, the person dies and now you grieve for however, however long and then things start again. But you know, it's something that happens kind of at the same time, which again, just had never occurred to me. Well, and I don't even think it's just with partners. Cause I remember when my dad was dying, he'd been sick for two years. We knew that what he had, he had cancer. We knew it was going to kill him. And he spent the last two months in um hospice which is an incredibly long time to be in hospice but sure. he he was he was gone and i think i was 25 when he died and i remember feeling such guilt because the last week or so cuz he was in another city than i was he was in calgary i was in winnipeg Right. And that last week, I remember feeling so much guilt because I finally acknowledged to myself that we all know how this is going to end. So just die so we can move on with this so that right. I, can, I, can, I can feel the grief and I can move on with it. Like I was almost annoyed with him for still breathing, which is so fucked up. But when I had the courage enough to talk about that with other people, they were like, oh, totally. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And when he did die, I went through the grief 100%, but I didn't run out and find a new dad. And if I, you did, I don't want to hear that story. Yeah. <laughs> but I definitely remember that feeling of, okay, like we know the end of this story. So can we maybe speed it up? Because I'm just barely hanging on here. Right, right, right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah huh. Grief is weird. Oh, it yeah, it really is. I mean, we, we've got, we've sort of had an old, very old family. You know, like right. mostly, so we, you know, we've had a lot of deaths in my family, you know, up to now. And in a way, you know, it's, it's been good for sort of in some ways, um, making us more comfortable with that process. Right. But at the same time, you know, it, it when you just, yeah, boom, 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 you know, people go, it, it gets, it leaves a mark. And it's wearying. It's so wearying. It, it, it wears you out. And I mean, life is arrivals and departures. That's honestly, it that is what life is arrivals and departures through time the problem is we are so good at dealing with the arrivals at least on the surface like as a society and we suck at dealing with the departures that's very true yeah we're uncomfortable with the emotions involved in that and it's the same part of the process it's it really is it's like going to the airport (laughs) right you're just either picking people up or dropping people off (laughs) I remember reading this book called After Death by Daryl Daryl Reaney, I think. And as I recall, you know, it started as one book, and then I believe the author was given terminal news. Oh, and wow. so it, it became kind of another book. But he, he said something again that, that really struck me, and it was that one of the reasons we struggle so with death is that we don't have a, a framework for it anymore. 
No, we don't. You know, like like when everyone was just sort of de facto Christian, there was at least among people who you know believed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's sort of a, a framework. We we know to, we know what happens after death. We know how to deal with it. So okay, well they're dying and they're going to go to you know go to Cloud City and they're going to have margaritas with Jesus and, and do their <laughs> thing. But now that that's sort of a minority thing, and, and often I think even a lot of people who miss, maybe Christian don't necessarily believe in the literal truth of of the Bible. Right. That there is no release valve for right. death anxiety, and consequently we we hide it and we try not to think about it. I think it's but, it's it's a twofold thing. I think you're right. Um, there's the spiritual aspect, but there's also the physical aspect because even a hundred years ago, if a loved one died, you and and usually the other women in the house would take that person and wash them, right, and and put them in a shroud, possibly into their coffin. You'd then have that coffin in your living room for about a week so that people could come and pay their last respects, and then finally you would make that journey to the churchyard. So. Death was much more hands-on, for lack of a better term, and now right. we've kind of Tupperwareized it. That's I, that's my term for it. Where someone dies, we make a phone call, and the next time we see them or not see them, they're in a box. Right. We kind of initiate a process. Death exactly. Is a process. Exactly. Yeah. And it's got nothing to do with us. So we don't have the bigger process we used to to deal with death. We rush it. And we, we kind of homogenize it. We just sort of sterilize it. And by the time that loved one is in the ground or they're, they're cremated or, or whatever we're doing with them, um, that's usually like two or three days after that is when it hits us with both feet. Right, of course. And then there's nothing to do with that grief. No, that's, that's- Before, you could work through that grief. There were things to do. Right. Oh, interesting. I see. Like, so like the, the things along th- that process kind of helps you. hundred uh, percent. And it yeah. allows you to honor that person. Right. It allows you to honor them. It allows you to, and we've taken that all away from ourselves and, and, and society has 100% endorsed that. I do think there are some, uh, like sitting Shiva, does that involve sitting yes, with and, and, and same with that tradition of having a wake. There are still faith groups and religious groups that do that. And God bless them because they handle death far better than we do. Interesting. But it's that kind of waspy <laughs> take <laughs> on death where we've Costcoized it to one-stop shop, right? Right, of course. And it's messed well, up. It's messed up. It does nothing good for us. Well, I, I can promise you this. When you die, I will have a parade. I will sit you up in a Santa suit in the, you will be in the float of honor. I was going to say, just throw me in with the chickens. They'll take care of me. Oh, that's afterwards. <laughs> once I've once I've drugged your body through the streets like Mussolini, <laughs> then the chickens going to have you. Well, I do love a good parade, so I'm looking forward to that. After the crash, it started with the accident. A trip to the grocery store with my kids ended in a collision with a semi-truck. My fault. And it's a miracle we weren't all killed. The truck sustained minimal damage and my car was still drivable, but only just. And on the way home, I felt loopy. That's why the first time I heard a voice after entering my home, one that said, why, thank you. I thought it was just shock. Then my son spoke up. Mommy, he said, did you hear that? Someone said, thank you. In a way, it was nice to know I wasn't hearing things, but of course, it raised a lot of other questions. Events sprawled outward from there. We would hear knocking in the walls, which, and I wish I was making this up, would knock back at you if you tried. The first time my daughter and I tried that, we were in the nursery. 
We left immediately and a small ornament rolled out after us. Maybe it was a coincidence. The other thing that started happening was the piano. It would play every night at 8 p.m., which wouldn't have been a problem, save for two facts. One, we don't have a piano. And two, even if we did, it wouldn't have been in the attic. An attic that, I'd like to add, can only be reached with a ladder. In time, my kids also began to see things in the house. A white cat for my daughter, and for my son, a little girl who would pet our dog. Both would appear and disappear, seemingly at random. Other things followed, but the most disconcerting was the doppelgangers. The first was my son. He had drifted off to sleep on my lap one night, but when I looked up from his sleeping face, he was also sitting in the corner, grinning. He was also the next person to experience this when his sister and I walked into the living room one day, asking who he had been speaking to. His jaw dropped. He said he had been talking to his sister, but she'd been in the kitchen with me the entire time. We are not a religious family, but these incidents pushed us right to the edge. None of it was overtly threatening, I know, but... You try having it happen and see how long your zen lasts. What finally pushed us over the edge was the day my husband saw a man in the living room. The man, who looked familiar, was sitting on the ground, and it took a moment for my husband to realize he was looking at himself. The man blinked out, and we got in touch with a local parish and asked if we could get our house blessed. Since it was done, we haven't had anything unusual happen, but we're always on guard, just in case they come back. I honestly don't know how I would react if I suddenly was face to face with myself. That is a chill. I don't even know if I'd recognize myself. And that's the whole thing. Like what he says in there is, um, looked kind of familiar. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And then you realize, oh, motherfucker. That's me. Yeah. What's interesting is I, I think we had another story a little earlier in the night that was also in, pardon me, that also involved a white cat. Oh, Okay. And now, because of our bizarre technical issues, half the script has been erased. Yeah. And we cannot get it back. Thankfully, it was a half we'd already read. No kidding, eh? But uh, So I can't go back and check. But yeah, I, I think we did. And it reminded me that, yeah, I have friends here in town who have had that very issue. And I believe it was um, – oh, no, sorry. Theirs was a ginger cat they saw. Oh, right. Okay. But yeah, they're, they're in a fourth floor apartment. So oh, the cat could no. not have just wandered in. I think it's got something to do with the family almost dying. Like, did they come so close to it that they ruffled some feathers in another area of the world? Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, sure, sure, yeah, like the, like kind of like a subtle world thing. Yeah, like yeah, they, almost like that movie. Do you remember that movie Flatliners with Kiefer Sutherland? Yes, and the other one I was thinking was Final Destination. That interests me because it all started to uptick after that incident. So, eh, who yeah. Knows? And, and for those of you out there who uh, sadly might be too young for it, um, <laughs> Flatliners was, I think, 1988. Oh, God. It's a, I know. I know. It's a horror movie about these uh, very young grad students who are experimenting with death, basically. Yeah. So they're trying to see how long they can stay dead before they're, you know, the, the other med students uh, revive them. Yeah. And it's a good movie. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, yeah, surprisingly solid. Yeah. And ha has a very like, weirdly young cast of, you know, Julia Roberts and yep. uh, Kiefer Sutherland and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, there was a remake a couple of years ago. It's terrible. Oh, I didn't even know there was a remake. <laughs> yeah, you, <you're laughs> That's how terrible off. it must have been. Oh, yeah, you are, you are very much better off that way. But uh, <laughs> yeah, check out Flatliners if you haven't already. Head like a hole. 
The first time I saw the headless version of myself was around 10 years ago. I was sitting in my house looking out the front window when a girl walked across my yard. The first thing I noticed was that this mysterious intruder was about my height, which is significant because I'm tiny, under 5 feet. Her purple dress wasn't familiar to me, but weirdly her hands were what jumped out next. Petite and marked like mine. Her hair length and color was the same as mine too. After noting her hair color, my gaze went to her face, or where her face should be. Instead, atop her neck and under her hair, there was a black void. Just nothingness. I watched the faceless copy of me walk all the way across the yard, whereupon she vanished. I never told anyone, and she never reappeared. Until last week. It was late last Saturday. Again, I was in my living room, absent-mindedly playing piano, when I saw, through the doorway, my doppelganger walk across the kitchen. This time she was wearing a red dress, again unfamiliar to me, but otherwise, it was me, right down in the hands. Except, of course, for that black hole where my face should be. What does it mean? More importantly, what does it want? Good night, Jamie. My brother Jamie joined the service after high school, so I didn't see him for a couple of years. When he did come home, he stayed with my folks and I as he got used to civilian life. It was good to have him home, and I saw that all of my concerns about military service changing him had mostly been baseless. He was still the same pain in my ass, just with a buzz cut and a little more discipline. Mom had turned Jamie's room into a sewing room, so we were sharing my room and it worked out nicely. One night, Jamie had been out, catching up with some school friends, when I heard him come home, first creaking up the old steps and then across the room. At this point in the night, I was crashed out in bed facing the wall and too tired to bother rolling over. So I said, that you, Jamie? A deeper voice than I expected responded, yeah. It didn't exactly sound like him, but if he'd been out drinking, it was possible he was trying to hold it together so I wouldn't tease him. I asked if he was okay and got the same response. Yeah. Okay, man, I said, I'm beat. Talk to you in the morning, okay? Okay. The voice rumbled back. The bed creaked under him as he lay down, and a few minutes later I drifted off to sleep. In the morning, Jamie was up before me, his bed remade, and when I went downstairs, he was nowhere to be found. I asked Mom where he was, and she said he'd stayed over at a friend's place the night before. He'd sent her a text so she wouldn't worry, saying he'd be home sometime today. I felt a cold tingle of fear then. Mom, I said, he came home. I heard him come in. We talked a little bit, then he got into bed. Mom's brow furrowed at that. She suggested I'd been dreaming, which I absolutely had not, and then let it go. She was done with the conversation, but I couldn't let it go then and can't now. Who the hell did I speak to and where did they go? I feel like mom's reaction is pretty typical. Yep. You know, like, (laughs) I'm done with this conversation, so uh, I'm not going to worry about it. If it doesn't fit into my understanding of the universe, we are not going to discuss it. I, you know, honestly, I think if I was in that situation, I would not comment on the deepness of the voice either. Right. How are you doing, Bob? I'm good. Oh. Cool. All right. Someone's well, you, got a sore throat. Yeah. Yeah. You you do you, brother. I'm I'm just, just gonna never open my eyes again. <laughs> Th- that reminds me also of the time, and I, I know I've mentioned this on the show before, but when we were living in our old apartment building, this is back when I was writing restaurant reviews because I was young and stupid. Right. And I, 
I was out working on a particular, you know, particular review and this, uh, Nick came out of the bedroom and said, what, what are you doing? And I said, Oh, I'm just, just writing. Why? And she said, well, why'd you come to bed and then leave? Oh yeah. And she said that I had come into the bedroom, sat on the bed, then got back up and left. Oh boy. And I most certainly had not. No. <laughs> It was sort of a pattern we kind of realized after. At the time, I wasn't into spooky shit. You know, we had been in this new apartment for several years before I started, or pardon me, for at least a year before I even started writing my book. Right. Uh, a Strange Little Place, which you're going to buy on Audible ACX on Amazon. <laughs> so we didn't really have any kind of frame of reference for this stuff, but we remembered, yeah, you know, she was in the bathroom one night and I was out of town and she saw a shadow walk across the underneath the door. Right. And oh, not there, good. No. And then there was one night too. I remember uh, this was sort of towards the end of our time there, but I left the, I left the apartment to go for a drive. And what I did was I, I stepped out the door, realized, oh, I'd forgotten my, my wallet, I think. So I walked back inside, grabbed the wallet and then left, but I didn't close the door behind me when I, right. when I walked back inside, cause I thought, oh, I'm just gonna be a minute. But I became seized by the certainty that something had followed, or I should say someone, I, I didn't think anything spooky, but that someone had followed me in when I left the door open. Oh. And it's one of those boring 70s box apartments. So it's right. just, you know, you've got like the wall that separates the kitchen from the living room. Right. And I remember walking around that wall about six times because I genuinely thought if I move fast enough, I will see this person because they are staying just out of my sight. Oh, boy. And I eventually said to myself, oh, you know, it's store, you're, you're going loopy. There's no one here. Yeah. I went, I locked the door, got in the car and I got a block away and I had to come home. I could not leave Nick alone in the apartment. Really? Just, yeah. And it's possible it was just my anxiety kind of driving me nuts, but right, right. I don't know. I was just, I had this unshakable feeling that someone was in the house. Interesting, eh? So I don't know. Not, I don't know. Not, your, your apartment can be kind of creepy. My new one? Yeah. Oh, really? The apartment itself or just the building? I think there's something that passes through your apartment. Yeah, I would believe that, especially yeah. in the spare room. Yes. Yeah. It's less of an issue now that I spend more time in there because I do all the show work in there. Right. But um, obviously, I record in the dining room and then I, I add it in, in the spare room. But So there's uh, some ghost who's like, dumb fuck took my spot. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember um, here a couple of years ago when we had the house smudged for the very first time. It was actually after Nikki had her gallstone because remember she had that really terrible gallstone. Yeah, thing. yeah. And uh, or sorry, kidney stone, kidney stone. And the night before she ended up in the hospital, I heard that old woman laughing. I had that dream about an old woman oh, just okay. outside our, our bedroom laughing. Yeah. And I woke up. It was Saturday night. And that Sunday she ended up in the hospital with the oh, kidney stone. Wow. And so it took really a month to go fully this stone and, yeah. um, you know, like to get her treatment and, and things yeah. like this. And I remember afterwards, our friend, she said, you know, you should probably smudge the place. I know you've never had it done, she said, but uh, I would recommend doing this. She said, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I know how to do these things. Mm -hmm. And so she did it for us. And what was really, really fascinating was at the time, I barely used the spare room. It's not a big room, but you know, right. you can just about fit a bed in there. Yeah. You know, the odd time we have company. And so I wouldn't go in there very much. And what I found is that when I went in there, I don't know. I, I would only ever lay on the bed sometimes to read. That's all I would ever do in there. And then after she smudged, I walked in there and I realized, 
man, there's a whole room here. Oh, wow. But for some reason, it was like I had only been using yeah. this tiny, teeny yeah. part of the room. Yeah, I get it. Because something else was taking up all the space. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Almost blanking it out in your head. Yeah, exactly. Kind, yeah. kind of like that park you, always, you and I always talk about. Yes. Where uh, Topaz. Yeah, where nobody yeah. remembers ever having gone there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but fascinating that you feel that something moves through here. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think so. And actually, you're not the only person to say that. Now that, ah. holy shit, the original, the, the property manager who worked here when we moved in was a friend of ours. We knew her from our old building. Right. And she said the same thing. I forgot all about that. She said, there's nothing fixed in this building, but things move through it. There you go. Shit. All right. Well, we learned something <laughs> tonight, folks. I'm moving now. <laughs> no, nowhere, but somewhere. Not to my house. Jesus, no. <laughs> that neighborhood is creepy. <laughs> no way is it creepier than yours. Okay, no, it's a sliding scale, but it's still unpleasant. <laughs> the car wash. A car wash is an unlikely place to have a paranormal experience, but I can't think of any other way to explain what happened to us during a visit there several years ago. We had dropped my husband Todd's car off at the bay and headed inside to wait for it to be finished. Todd headed to the bathroom, shocker, and I took a seat at one of the Formica tables around the corner. Not long after he went in, I heard him call out, Babe. Not sure if I'd actually heard it right, I listened and heard it again. Babe. A little louder. I thought maybe he'd discovered the place was out of toilet paper, so I got up to go check on him. But then he called me again, this time by name. Gwen. That usually only happens when things are serious. So I yelled, What's wrong? Through the door, maybe a little louder than I needed to. Todd didn't respond, so I tried it again, even louder. Still silence. Next up, I tried a text message, asking him why he'd called me over and if he needed anything. Shortly after that, he came out of the bathroom and said he hadn't called me at all. He also said he couldn't hear my shouting through the door because the fan had been on. So what the hell happened? It seems unlikely it was a stranger, as they knew my name, and seemed to be calling from behind the bathroom door, which was a single stall, one person at a time place. Was it a ghost? I wish I knew. She'll find us. In 1984, my family moved to a house in small-town Nebraska, or rather a couple miles outside it. It was a nice house, just down the hill from an old cemetery. Maybe that has something to do with what went on there, I don't know. What I do know is that prior to living in this place, my family had never been inclined to talk about anything you might call paranormal. But after a couple of weeks of life in this house, that changed for good. None of us, be it mom and dad or any of my four siblings, liked to be in the house alone. When you were there alone, you would hear voices. They never threatened us or anything, but they sounded like us. By which I mean you hear the voices of people who are absolutely not in the house. The most dramatic incident happened when I was 12. I was mature for my age and had just gotten home from babysitting for someone else in the family. It was midday, the sun high in the sky, and a slight breeze stirring the clusters of golden tick seed along the driveway. Inside, the house was cool, and I called out to say I was home, but got no reaction. I hadn't expected everyone to be out, and being alone in the empty house wasn't how I wanted to spend my afternoon, so I decided to go back outside. As I approached the threshold of the front door, I heard one of my sisters giggling from behind the basement door. I stopped. More giggling. Then my other sister saying, shh, she'll find us. I was so relieved to hear someone else home. I ran back into the house and down the steps to the basement. 
found you, I shouted, but there was no one there and nowhere to hide. Fear rose up in me. Still, I tried again. Come on, guys, I said. I found you. You have to come out. My words were met with total silence, dying softly amid the dirt and shadows. Before anything else could happen, I bolted back upstairs, slamming the basement door behind me. That's when I saw the note on the table signed by my mother saying she'd taken my sisters into town and would be back later in the day. I went outside and sat in the shade until they came home. When I told my sisters what had happened, the oldest one admitted something similar had happened to her. She'd been home alone and left some toast in too long. It started to smoke, so as she ran up the counter to fetch it, she absentmindedly said, Shit! From nowhere came a voice that said, You shouldn't cuss. After that, she removed the burnt toast from the toaster and herself from the house until one of our parents got home. Can you imagine going down to the basement, the basement of all godforsaken places? Nope, I wouldn't do it. No, I guess I probably wouldn't either. Nope. But like thinking, oh, good. Well, at least there's someone home. I feel better now. Oh, no, this is a cruel gambit. (laughs) Time time to purify this house by flame. (laughs) Sorry, mom and dad. Look, it's better this way. (laughs) Eduardo. If you ever think your life is boring, I want you to think of me and my friends working graveyards in a call center. I've done this work for four years now, and only once has something interesting ever happened. Of course, I'm in no hurry to repeat the experience. It happened on a break. As I mentioned, we work nights in a call center that supplies services to America, so it's a high-stress environment, and we go outside to blow off steam. Smoke, talk shit about the customers, debate movies, whatever did the trick, you know? Well, one night we were out there and we saw our coworker Eduardo pass by. He had been elbow deep in work when we left, so it was a surprise to see him outside. He's a good guy and was welcome, so we waved him over, but he ignored us, which wasn't like him. We tried calling out to him and he finally stopped long enough to say he was going to the 7-Eleven down the road for something to eat and he would meet us back at work. Then he turned around and walked away. We remarked to each other that he had seemed sad, but... Figured if he wanted to talk once he got back, he would. It all got strange when we stepped off the elevator on our floor to see Eduardo sitting at his desk working. A couple of the guys got scared and we made a joke of it, asking him when he had learned to teleport, but all we got was a blank look. He said he was almost finished his work and was going to head over to 7-Eleven on his break, so we had to tell him. As we told the story, the blood drained from Eduardo's face, and he decided he wasn't as hungry as he thought. My guess is he was afraid of leaving the building in case he ran into himself somewhere out in the night, which I think is a wholly reasonable fear. I think Eduardo's a very smart man. I sort of imagine Eduardo takes fewer solo walks these days. (laughs) I would. (laughs) There's sort of an element of, um, I'm trying to think how to phrase this, but there's almost an element of projection involved in these. Mm -hmm. It's hard to explain exactly, but in some of these cases, these versions of people seem to be doing things they had intended to do anyways. Yeah. And so you just wonder if if there is some possibility that we can somehow unconsciously sort of disassociate to the point where we're visible outside. Well, from, from, Shirley MacLaine has written books on that. Oh, has she? Like oh, actual- yeah. Astral projection? 100%. Really? Oh, tons of them. She did a movie on it. I watched the movie as part of our 
Bible school lesson on pure evil. Uh, but um, <laughs> really, yeah, but I was fascinated by it. <laughs> so, like Shirley MacLaine, star of Beaches, is or, or uh, like what was that? Was that one she did? Oh, uh, she did Terms of Endearment. Terms of Endearment. That's it. and lots of other amazing movies. Yeah, and so she, but she's the devil because of this movie. Uh, yeah, because she's into astral projection, which is new age religion, and that's evil. Interesting. Oh okay. yeah. The more I learn about your past, <laughs> the more I understand. Black-eyed me. Something seems to be following me. At first, I didn't notice because it's not the kind of thing most people see. But my friend Brianna became aware of it first. And after that, other people who were sensitive to the subtle world started to notice as well. It first happened on a spring day when Brianna was over at my house. We've been friends long enough that she'll sometimes just come over to be in the same space, and I love that. On this particular day, she was hanging out upstairs reading while I was doing some work in my living room. At one point, she came downstairs and asked me if I'd been upstairs at all while she was there. I hadn't, and told her so, and then asked why. If anyone else had given me the reply she had, I wouldn't have believed them. But I've known Brianna a long time, and I trust her. She told me that she'd seen what looked like a shadow passing back and forth behind my closed bedroom door. She could see the movement in the crack between the door and the floor. As she hadn't heard me come up, she thought it was odd and so went to check. But when she opened the door, no one was there. After that, she went into the bathroom and just as she was sitting down, heard me say, Brie, I'm in the guitar room, followed by strumming. I have never in my life called the spare room the guitar room and would never call it that because I own one guitar and it would be moronic. Regardless, she heard the playing. And so when she finished up in the bathroom, she went in there to watch me play. Except it wasn't really me. It had the same clothes, body, hell, face as me, but its hair was long, whereas mine had been cut short only a few months before. Oh, and its eyes were black completely, utterly black. Moments after she saw it, this other vision of me faded away. Since then, Brianna has started to see other me in other places. As I mentioned, she's not new to the subtle world, and we often share visions. But this one seems to be unavailable to me, even when we're in the same space, which has happened. Now, while I haven't seen it, I have heard it, but only once. Brie and I were on the bus headed downtown, and she was kind of spacing out as she sometimes does, when I heard my own voice calling her name in a kind of haunting, sing-songy way. Of course, I didn't see anything, but when Brie finally came back from her reverie, she seemed surprised to see me and said she'd seen me get off the bus. Of course, I hadn't. If Brie was the only person to talk about something like this, I might be tempted to write her off. But over the last while, other people have told me that something seems to be following me, standing just behind me to my left. They can't identify it exactly, but the keener among them have said it doesn't feel human. Needless to say, this doesn't make me feel better. Giggles. Have you ever heard someone laugh in their sleep? It's unnerving. In fact, if not for one experience that was considerably worse, I'd say it's the most unnerving thing I'd ever experienced. My brother Darius and I share a room, and one night I stayed way late doing extracurricular work at school, 
so I arrived home after he'd gone to bed. I could see him sleeping on the top bunk of our bunk beds, facing away from me. Since I had the place to myself, I thought it would be nice to take a relaxing bath, so I stripped down, got into my robe, and grabbed a towel. I was just about to step out of our room into the hall when I heard Darius giggle. Was he laughing at something in his sleep? Looking at something on his phone? Either way, I didn't like it, so I spoke up and said, Oh, you're awake, but he didn't say anything back. I liked that even less, so I hot-footed it out of the room to the bathroom, which was locked. I knocked, expecting to hear my mother or father respond, but no. Darius answered from the other side of the door. Yeah, yeah, I'll be out in a minute. It was like the world broke in two. I couldn't process it. Almost against my better judgment, I softly crept back to our door and looked inside. Whoever, or whatever, had been sleeping in Darius's bunk was gone. When he was finished in the bathroom, I told him what had happened, but of course he thought I was messing with him. The following morning, I told our mother, who sighed and then told us to sit down. She said that sometimes during the day, when we're at school, she hears noises from our room. The sounds are usually simple, like footsteps or the sound of cabinet doors slamming. But, of course, whenever she checks inside, there's no one there. What was laying in my brother's bed, giggling to itself? And what was it laughing at? to drink cocktails and talk about poison or drink poison and talk about cocktails then welcome to the poisoner's cabinet a weekly podcast mixing true crime historic mysteries a dash of comedy and lots of lovely libations for your listening pleasure join us for a drink as we tell the story of a different deadly poisoner each week we always start by whipping up a cocktail inspired by the tale that we tell Ooh, sounds delicious oh so maybe an amaretto sour for a cyanide poisoning long island iced tea for the teacup poisoner chicken for william palmer what nothing Join Nick and Sinead every Friday inside the Poisoner's Cabinet as we look at vicious Victorians, inheritance powders and crimes of poisonous passion. Follow us at the Poisoner's Cabinet on social media. Subscribe and share on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, your loved ones are trying to kill you. Black Box. The first full-length record from Seattle's Ride at the Dojo is available now. Find it on iTunes and streaming platforms everywhere. Ride at the Dojo. Black Box. The battle has only just begun. Welcome back. As always, thank you to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this and every episode. We really couldn't do it without you. 
Sarah is helping us with correspondence now, which is awesome. It is. It really, really is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's going to make life a lot easier. All right. So first up is our patron shout outs. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are Michelle Logue, Sean Martin, Carol Hearn, Lisa Agnew, Ryan Morales, Alan Tong, Michael Smith, Ashley Marsha, Kareen Wilson, Stephanie, Ashley Peters, and Paul Maingard. Thank you so, so much, guys. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate you guys being patrons, especially now. It just provides us a lot more stability, me especially. You know, this has sort of become uh, my part-time job, and so I can actually pay myself a bit of a salary now. To, Yay! Yes, it's very exciting uh, to keep the wheels going. And so it's just, uh, it's wonderful. And we really, really thank you. It, again, just means so much to us. Honestly, want, anything that keeps Brennan from scrounging for food in the dumpsters is A1 in my books. I told you, I enjoy doing that, but that's fine. <laughs> that's your raccoon ancestry. You're just reclaiming <laughs> your people. That's it. Yeah, no, it's a... Uh, it's cathartic. I'm getting in touch with my roots. Yeah, yeah. I told you about back when I used to hitchhike and I would have to climb in dumpsters for cardboard to write signs. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, it was a whole thing. Anyways, moving on. If you want to join the team, head it over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. Head over there. You'll find all the information on our different physical rewards, bonus live shows, cabin fever, and chicken talk episodes, which are really just an opportunity for us to socialize and talk about all the shit going on in our lives that doesn't fit into the main show anymore. That used to be a, a huge part of the show and we just don't have time for it. So yeah, you get it all, all there. And this chicken talk episode is ludicrously long. <laughs> hey, people with questions. I just want to give the people what they want. You truly delivered. And I, I know way too much about chickens and yeah. th not everything is chicken related. I promise. But uh, there, there is a component there. <laughs> So again, that's patreon.com slash ghostory, guys. Next up, we have listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. So thanks to everyone who reaches out to us. We love hearing from you guys with your compliments, your questions, your gentle criticisms. We love it all. Just reminds us you're out there and reminds us why we do the show. So this is going to be the first time we're doing uh, this new setup for email mm -hmm. where we've just picked a selection randomly from a number of emails and we're just going to read them out here. So we'll see what happens because we used to read out a list of names for every person who, uh, who wrote in and that was starting to get long. So, yes. <laughs> so this is a little more, a little more concrete way to share some of our correspondence and, and answer some of your questions. Kim wrote in after the Mirrors episode to say we should watch Oculus. And uh, I agree. I, I, I liked Oculus. Oculus is a horror movie directed by Mike Flanagan. Uh, I will say I didn't like the end because I saw it coming. But apart from that, yeah, anything Mike Flanagan makes is good. If, if you haven't seen his first film, Absentia, I recommend you do that. There you go. Zach said he's finally all caught up on the back catalog and wanted to know if we ever did a follow-up episode to episode six, Doing It, where we talked about the movie It, chapter one. I don't remember. <laughs> I know I saw the second movie. I thought we talked about doing one and then we were like, eh, it's not really our jam anymore. We don't. Yeah. The, well, we the format had changed by that. Yeah. Time. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. why we decided not to. You did give your opinion on it in uh, patron extra. There you that, go. Yeah. So if you're a patron, and I believe you are a patron, Zach, uh, if you are, just go through the past stuff in your RSS feed and there'll be something there. I think Ian's Ian talks it chapter two. Um, I actually liked it better than the first one. 
Wait, better than the first movie or better than the miniseries? Better than the first movie. Really? Yeah, I, I was shocked because I, I didn't go to see it in the theater on the back of your recommendation. And then I, um, I ended up renting it, I think, during, the, uh, during quarantine. We ended up renting it on, uh, on demand. And no, I really liked it. Tone Nader recommended we check out the book Haunted Kenosha, uh, which we will absolutely do. Thank you for that. Beth thanked us for putting her onto the second Missing 411 documentary and said she would love to hear us narrate the 411 books. Um, probably never going to happen. Sadly, no. <laughs> I would love to do Well, Would I love to do it? That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Like, I'm, I'm about probably 60% done your book. That's it's exciting. Like, it's very exciting. Yeah. But it's, it's a lot of work. And I, those books are quite dense and thick. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, but uh, you're welcome for putting you on to the second documentary, Beth, because uh, it's so much better than the first one. Nancy said she was amused to hear us debating the difference between Canadian and American butter dishes, and I do not recall that at all. Well, I'm glad Nancy is amused by my pain. That's all <laughs> I can say to that. So um, you obviously remember. This. Oh, I totally because I'm the one who was going off on it. American butter dishes are set because they sell their pound of butter in little four sticks. Okay. It's four sticks inside of oh, right. a and box we have or whatever. And Canada pound. sells it as one pound brick. Right. And We're not trying to around. find, no, we take our butter seriously. And trying to find a butter dish that would hold that was a struggle. But I have done it. I'm proud to say I overcome that particular affliction. And I'm glad Nancy found amusement in my pain. I, I am too. Thank you, Nancy. <laughs> Shannon P says she has a concept for a book which requires going to a few haunted places and wants to do it alone as it plays into her story. She wants to know our thoughts on this and if we'd recommend it. Uh, no. <laughs> I would say no too. Not yeah. just for paranormal reasons, but for safety reasons. Yeah. If you follow my Instagram it's at Largely the Truth, you'll see I like doing a lot of night photos. And I have gone to places to take night photos. Where afterwards I found out I was in real danger and I just didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. And, and I understand that the concept for the book requires you to be there alone. But just because you're, you're sort of writing that you're going there alone doesn't mean you have to actually go there alone. What I point to as evidence for this was when I was in Iceland in 2006, I was on a bus with a guy who told me he was writing a book about couch surfing around the world. And at the time, I was a part of the Couchsurfing Network, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I think is still around, although apparently they're having serious financial issues right now. Oh, boy. But um, it was a pretty small network at the time. I think less, fewer than 200,000 people. And the idea was you would stay with strangers all over the world. You had free beds. And then you know when those strangers were traveling, they would stay with you. And um, it, we never really did stay with many people. But this guy was doing this. And we were together. We sat next to each other. And I remember taking his picture at uh, Geyser and I took his picture and we checked out a couple different places together because we were on this bus and I looked up his name after uh, the book came out and I was curious to see how he wrote, how he described his journey. And sure enough, when I read the chapter about him going to Geyser and him going to the places that we went, he said he had rented a car and driven there. Oh, it's totally fine. Like he, he, that was the only invention. The other things he described there were, you know, they're legitimate things. Right. Like he didn't, he didn't invent conversations along the way, but right. it just goes to show you don't necessarily have to do exactly the thing you said you did. Most things that are like travel logs or things like this, they're made up of, of component parts, mm-hmm. you know, like, like Bill Bryson's in a sunburnt land. 
I guarantee love you that, that, that was, book. Love was a great Bill, book. Bill Bryson. Love him. Yeah, absolutely. But I guarantee you that was not all done in a single, like a single voyage. No. You know, these these things are typically done over, you know, a couple different trips and, yeah. and then you kind of compile it all into the narrative. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I would recommend not going alone. That's, no. that is uh, our ghost story guy's safety tip to you. <laughs> but I, when you do write your book, let us know. We always want to read what our listeners are doing. Absolutely. Especially if they're, especially if they're publishing. That's very cool. Our patron Tanya mentioned that on a previous episode, I mentioned missing trifle and asked if it was because of dairy. Uh, she also offered to send me some no way chocolate. And uh, yeah, it is because of dairy. Tanya. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned in your email very helpfully, a number of non-dairy uh, cream options, which is true. I mean, I, I do have a, like coconut cream and stuff like that. Uh, but I, I think trifle also has cake in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you have to make the cake with that too. And it, it becomes a, just a cumbersome pain in the ass. And thank you so much for the offer of chocolate. I I definitely do not need any more chocolate. (laughs) But it's very kind. And finally, we had a message from Jason. Jason says, last night I was jolted awake by what felt like a hand squeezing my ankle. I sat up and looked around and noted it was 11.15 p.m. Then I looked at the door. There appeared to be a light moving on the other side of the door. I watched it for a minute, then got up figuring it was one of the kids. There is a nightlight in the hall, the kind you plug into an outlet, but it doesn't move. I heard no sounds, and when I went in the hallway, there was nothing. I walked down to the living room and looked around. Nothing there either. That day was a normal day. No stresses, no shocking news, nothing. It took a while to get back to sleep. I wasn't scared, just didn't have that feeling that I should be. Any thoughts? You guys seem to have a lot of experiences. Hmm... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Is is long and short of it. I it mean, it could just I've, be something moving through. If it was just the squeeze on the ankle, it might be just your nervous system playing some tricks on you while you were asleep. But I was thinking that, like, what they call it, like myoclonic jerk. Yeah, but if you see a light moving on the other side of the door, that's kind of weird. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, that one. You're not getting around that one. So, long story short, I don't know, buddy. But I think you're probably fine if you weren't that freaked out by it. Yeah, if it was a one and done thing, as you say, might have just been, must might have just been something moving through. Yeah, thank you to everyone who wrote in. There were again a lot more people than that, but these are the folks we uh, we were featuring this time around. And if you want to get in touch, send an email to ghoststoryguys at gmail That's the best place to send uh, stories, comments, Requests, questions, everything. Yeah. Yep. Comments, questions, and gentle criticisms. <laughs> we're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have a Pretty great Instagram Instagram account at Instagram.com slash the ghost story guys. And we're on Twitter at twitter.com slash ghost story guys. But if you're gonna send us a story, the best way to do it is via the email or the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're gonna call ghost line. Call Huge thank you to our listener, Amber Pease, for our ghost line jingle. And this time around, we've had a couple people get in touch. Uh, We actually had someone leave their story as a series of voicemails, which is amazing. That's cool. So, yeah. So, we're going to be finding a way to incorporate that into an upcoming listener stories episode. Before we get to the text messages, though, I just want to remind you, if you want to get in touch, that's 1-888-588-6920. That's a toll-free number available in uh, North America. And you can text us at 925-553-4789. That's an American number. 
So if you're outside the U.S., there may be a, a slight international texting charge depending on your carrier, but that should be reachable from wherever you are. Again, that's 925-553-4789. And we had, yeah, we're actually getting more action through the ghost line, which is really cool. Someone sent in some spooky artwork from Scotia Barons next to State College, Pennsylvania, which can be found on our Instagram. Caleb wanted to know if we'd shared their stories. And honestly, Caleb, that we don't know. <laughs> the reason I mentioned this is just periodically people will get in touch and say, when are you going to use my stories? Mm, or have yeah, you used my stories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, once you send it into us, it's, it's gone. We have it and we're, we read everything. And we'll try to get everything on air. But in terms of being able to tell you what episode it was on, what we know is we've got this great story from a great listener and, and we want to use it as best we can. Yeah, that's it. Everyone who sends in a story, we do read it. We, we appreciate the absolute hell out of it. And um, again, we'll do our best to get it on air. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had two lovely messages, one from a listener who said we're the only spooky podcast they can listen to, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And another one from Leslie who said some beautiful things, finishing with, and seriously, this is seriously beautiful. Thanks for creating a fun, inclusive, and safe space for those of us that appreciate the mysteries of the world. That's awesome. That's why we're here, man. Exactly. So thank you to everyone who got in touch. Again, Mm -hmm. if you want to get in touch, send us a picture, send us a story. You can do it via the ghost line. You can either call one 888 6920 and leave your story as one or a series of voicemails. Or text us at 925-553-4789. I don't think we have any news aside from reminding everyone that I was on the Richard Spazoff show a couple weeks ago. You can find that link at our website at ghost3guys.com. The only other thing I have, other than I'm doing Ghost Walks again in July on Thursdays, is I am still looking for Vancouver stories. And I really want to thank the lovely lady who sent me in her uh, experience with a certain shopping mall in Vancouver. That is now literally going to be an entire chapter of the book because I'd never even heard of it before. I mean, I'd heard of the mall, obviously, but I'd never heard about all the ghost stories. So it it's bumping something else off my table of contents and it's becoming its own chapter. So if you have a story uh, around the greater Vancouver area, hey, send it in. I'd love to hear it. Love to talk to you. And uh, that's Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We had someone ask us. Whether oh, that's- yeah. Sorry. Now we're guilty of doing that, which is something we always accuse our neighbors to the south of doing. <laughs> that's right. And the only other thing for news is that we have restocked our Steve the Cheese Demon die cut stickers. We've started to sell a few of those. Yay, Steve. And those are, yes. And those are $3 Canadian. And you can get those at ghoststoryguys.bigcartel.com. And you can also find signed copies of our books there, as well as pins and signed art cards of my night photography. Again, that's ghoststoryguys.bigcartel.com. If you want to pick up some other merch, t-shirts, mugs, that kind of thing, head on over to our website at ghoststoryguys.com and follow the links to our Tee Public store. And from there, you can find all manner of Ghost Story Guys goodies with designs from Vancouver Island artist Wanda Fraser, our good friend Bob Vasquez, and so many more. Again, that's ghoststoryguys.com. Follow the links to our Tee Public store. Speaking of Wanda Fraser, I just want to remind everyone that we have this incredible series of dark art by Wanda going on on our Instagram. Mm-hmm. Every Friday, Wanda sends in a completely different hand-illustrated folklore creature, uh, just drawn from, again, different folklore around the world. Some of them are truly terrifying. And actually, one of them, recently, she had to destroy. Oh, wow. Yeah, but she did. The most recent one was, again, I, I mentioned it earlier, the Nishidak. Mm-hmm. And that was so, 
uh, how can I put this? She said it didn't want to be finished. Oof. And if, if you check it out on the Instagram, it's a very powerful image. And she did another one after that. And I won't bother to say which, but she had to destroy it. She said something about it wasn't right. Wow. And so she did a, she chose a completely different creature, which we'll be posting on Friday. But yeah, don't miss out on those. It's really fantastic artwork. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. You can find more from him by heading over to soundcloud.com slash Music. His new album, Lo-Fi Evening 4, is available everywhere you stream. And he just released the album Beat Night as well, which is a remastered edition of a previous record. Again, available to stream everywhere you find your music. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by heading to hexagram.bandcamp.com. That's hexagram with two X's, not three, or anywhere you stream your music. Finally, all other music and sound effects on this show are provided courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for pod-safe music or sound effects for your next project, head on over to epidemicsound.com to check them out. And finally, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Mm -hmm. A lot of you have been doing that. We really, really appreciate Mm -hmm. it. It helps bump the numbers and get more eyes on the show. We crossed 70,000 downloads in a month for the first time in June. Amazing. Oh, so wonderful. And that's thanks to you guys. So thank you so, so much. I guess that's going to do it. I think that's it. We'll be back in two weeks with another show. And until then, into the darkness we go. You see a signpost up ahead. Yeah, that's where you're going. <laughs> Population, you, my You, son. that's right. So I've put the possessed iPad away. <laughs> Muting myself now. Oh, if only it was that easy in real life. After the crash. Fuck it. it. <laughs> I knew you were going to come back in. <laughs> I couldn't resist. <laughs> I finally get to say whatever I want with no rebuttal. But no, you find a way. Life always finds a way, baby. <laughs> We're not a religious family, but these incidents... What is going on tonight? I don't know, but that is profoundly weird. So that's what the Google Home was telling me. How to deal with toxic people while you're talking to me. All right, Google Home, I see you. Mm, Well. (laughs) Okay, Google. I'm not going to say it's a sign, but, you know, so Show Ian's... (laughs) What What the the fuck? fuck?